You are listening to a podcast produced by the Jackson School of International Studies and the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit us at jsis.washington.edu forward slash Ellison Center. I am Bojan Belic from the Department of Slavic uh, Languages and Literatures. Um, and it's really, truly amazing to be so lucky to have Robert here for a day and then torture him enough to, to ask him to give a talk. Um, you probably saw in the announcement who he is, so I'll remind you, currently the Dean of the Faculty of Arts at the University of Auckland in New Zealand, all the way down under. Pacific Rim. Uh, right. Uh, Robert is also Professor of Linguistics and previously a Dean and Professor at Hunter College of the City University of New York. Also, professor in the Department of Slavic Languages and Literatures at Yale University, where he obtained his PhD in 1991. And in, during his teaching career, he worked at Yale, Georgetown, and where I met him in 2000, at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Robert Greenberg is um, a world-leading specialist in South Slavic languages and linguistics. And he primarily works on sociolinguistic aspects of the former Yugoslavia and part of his talk, oh, the whole of his talk is actually, yeah, on that. One of uh, the publications you should have is what I'm holding in my hand. and. Yeah, I, I was just looking at it, I'm like, well, it looks old, because I guess I read it quite a few times, so it's not just sitting on the shelf. Language and identity in the Balkans. And um, I don't think I did, I missed so many things. I'm not gonna continue, I'll just let Robert speak for himself. So, uh, really, really happy to welcome you. Thank you. Dobrodošli. Uh, Thank you very much, Boyan. It's a great pleasure to come to the University of Washington today. Thank you for uh, arranging all of this and for having me and hearing my talk today. Um, it's, uh, it's really it's exciting for me to, to also meet Boyan after quite a few years and uh, reconnect and reconnect with colleagues here at the university as well. So I look forward to seeing you and hope you can stay and catch up with me as well at the, at the Q&A and the reception that follows. Thank you for mentioning that because we didn't mention there's a reception following this. Yeah, so <laughs> Thank please. you, yes. So, uh, um, and I, so today I just wanted to uh, give you uh, uh, some of a taste of, of some of the key issues that I think are facing us in the space of language and identity in the Balkans, especially regarding what I call, in at least the title of my talk, the Muslim Slavs. I intentionally used that rather ambiguous and perhaps outdated term, Muslim Slavs, just to sort of underline the fact that that identity is still in questioned by some people in that region. And while the more commonly used nowadays term Bosniak 
if you take that, um, that's, that is potentially applicable to most of the Muslim Slavs in this space, but it also is not applied by all or declared by all those who are of the Muslim faith and of the Slavic origin or the Slavic ethnicity. These are not all universally accepting the term Bosniak. And then, so just to clarify all that, because if I've already lost some of you, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I will, the very first slide here is actually to try to disambiguate that. But I, before I go to that slide, I just want to walk you through what I'm trying to achieve today, which is to give you a little bit of a theoretical background about language and identity in general, so more about language policy and how it affects uh, groups and identities within societies more broadly speaking, including a little reference to the USA in that. Um, and then some of the theoretical frameworks that I tend to use these days in explaining what is unique and special about the Bosnian or the ex-Yugoslav, in this case, a situation, um, especially regarding one of the big groups in that area, the Muslim Slavs or Bosniaks, as they are often called. Um, and then uh, walk you through some contemporary issues of challenges to that language and to that identity and can make some final remarks to kind of link the, the uh, descriptive parts of what I'm going to tell you today with the theoretical underpinnings that I hope that you will find of interest today because I always like to at least bring you that this is not unique, this is not a special case, but this is part of a bigger discourse about language policy, language and identity and implementation minority rights within a space. So my, my focus has always been in sociolinguistics a quite broad and interdisciplinary one. So, uh, and if there are uh, issues, I, I do hope that I can clarify them in the Q&A. So moving to that first slide to disambiguate some of my terminology. That's it. Uh, what am I talking about? Who am I talking about? What are these different terms? I, so to clarify the terminology, Muslim Slav is the way we render typically the designation of a whole group that the Yugoslav authorities back in the day that Yugoslavia existed called Muslimani or Muslims with a capital M. It is socialism. We are, it seems, uh, you know, it quite seems like ages ago. But in these socialist societies, including the Soviet Union, a religious uh, affiliation was often rendered by as a nationality. Take the example of Jewish as a nationality in the Soviet Union and Muslims as a nationality, not a religion, in ex-Yugoslavia. We, in the translation of that, to make it clear that we're talking about specific Muslims, tended to use the phrase to render Muslimani in the Yugoslav context as Muslim Slavs because these are those, Mus the, those populations that converted to Islam from or Orthodoxy or Catholicism under Ottoman Turkish rule. So there we get this idea that these are Slavs. Now there are many other Muslims in the Balkans uh, that, that are not Slavs, uh, typically. Um, uh, the largest part and most notable being the Albanians that have a large portion of their population are Muslims. Uh, as you'll see in a slide later on, there is some confusion about that. There are also, by the way, Turks who are not Slavs and others. Uh, when we talk about Macedonia, that is a, a particular issue um, where uh, the Muslim Slavs have had various names, including Torbeshi, Makedonski, Muslimani, Macedonia, Muslims, Bosniaci or Bosniaks, which is another term I'm coming to in this little list. 
the next term that I think is one that maybe came to be known more in the popular press is when, if you go back to the days of the wars in, in the former Yugoslavia, particularly in Bosnia-Herzegovina, our press, and popular press in particular, tended to refer to Bosnians in the conflict, and that was what our press mostly thought were the Muslims. The Bosnian side were known as the Muslims, probably hugely inaccurately in most cases, but it did create a lot of confusion as to what does it mean to be Bosnian, because that is also a term that is disputed. The term Bosnian, obviously, is a geographically inspired term. It would seem to be any inhabitant of Bosnia, Herzegovina, a multi-religious, um, diverse place where orthodoxy, Catholicism, and Islam uh, were the main religions of the Slavic populations, but there were 24, uh, uh, several other, and as many as up to 24 other uh, minorities in ex-Yugoslavia, including in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Bosniak, the next one, is an, the term that I think I really have to spend even slightly more time on, or Bosniak, is inspired from the Turkish language uh, and is a term that the Turks, the Ottoman Turks, had used in describing the populations that had uh, converted to Islam under their rule and has been revived post-Yugoslavia in the 92, after 1991-92 in particular. Uh, it is a term with an origin that goes, again, back to Ottoman times, had a little a brief reawakening under Austro-Hungarian times in the late 19th century, but then is completely rehabilitated and spreads to most of the Muslim Slavic population of Bosnia-Herzegovina and is now known as, so these are the Bosniaks or Bosniaci or Bosniaks and various ways of <laughs> rendering this. Sometimes it's with a K. My book, I wrote it with a C because I was inspired by some French linguists, but uh, nowadays I tend to write it with a K. So I can't fix the book, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, both, if you go to Google, Bosniak is, uh, uh, prevails over with a K, prevails over Bosniak with a C nowadays. But who knew that back in the day when I was finishing that book because it was still relatively new as a term. By the way, uh, there's a footnote on that, which I can tell you later, that I, I think the, the C is a good way of calling mm -hmm. the adjective because mm -hmm. uh, in English, but that's a whole other little linguistic footnote. Mm -hmm. And then there's the term Muslim of the Balkans, which include, is a much more a broader term, which will include those Albanians, those Turks, and other, uh, those who might not think of themselves as Bosniaks, but might be of Slavic origin. As you can already tell, there are a few elements here that make us realize why there are still controversies. The name of the people is not clear. There's an ambiguity. Can we use this, this Turkish-inspired, this term inspired from the Turkish language in Ottoman times with all its connotations? So these terms all have baggage and terminology and how you name people in this part of the world is very important. Uh, is this a term then accepted by everyone? Is it accepted by the people themselves? Are they self-declaring as such? And if not, what is going on and how can we explain some of the problems in using some of the broader terminological uh, and, and theoretical frameworks that I tend to draw upon. So I think in that regard, it would be useful to go and look at the role of the state in language planning and, and also, it's not just language planning, but it's also states that seem to promulgate ideas of what in each nation or group should be known as or called. 
states in Europe in particular, and less so in the New World, like the US or New Zealand for that matter, are involved in de designating official and minority languages either through their constitutions or through their laws. Uh, I always tell students in the first day of a course I used to teach at Yale called Language and Politics, the United States does not have, a, a, on the federal level, an official language. Yes, we all think we do, but we actually don't. There's nowhere in any of our legal documents that specifies that English is our official language. Now, there are people in the United States from English First or um, US English or pro-English who advocate for that and want English to be designated somewhere in some law of Congress, the official language of the United States. On the other hand, in the United States, we have at least uh, half of, uh, two dozen states in the US that do have official English laws. In California, the official language of California is English. I don't believe Washington has done that, state, Washington state, but uh, many southern states, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, um, and California, et cetera, Arizona, have declared English their official language. And mm, given the political climate, which I don't want to talk about here, uh, these days, I wouldn't be too surprised if something like that were to recur on the federal level again or pushes each year, every Congress, there's always been somebody advocating to call English the official language. So states play a key role in determining languages, official and unofficial, or languages that are in official use and those that should be protected of the minorities. And this is a way of sometimes managing the complex language situation. Now, if we think of the former Yugoslavia in socialist times, there was a rather an attempt at erase, erasure, at erasing some of these differences among the various groups. Uh, there was an attempt at, 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 at the state sponsored an idea of a Yugoslav identity with six equally uh, formed nations uh, with, with the same rights of, 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 of constituency within the, the broader state. And there were three tiers. There was nations, nationalities, and national minorities. And they, the nations were the, each republic sort of corresponded, the six republics corresponded to the six nations. Um, that was their, their formula. And there was an encouragement to uh, identify, self-identify as Yugoslav, especially in a certain period. So from 71 to 81 in the censuses, uh, there was a very marked increase, which our colleague Kenneth Naylor points out in one of his articles, in the number who self-declare as Yugoslavs. Now uh, you would have a very, very difficult time finding any Yugoslav self-declared in any censuses throughout the former Yugoslavia. Um, so the, the role of the state is something I will, come, I will uh, continue to elaborate upon by looking at models that states have tried to use to manage language conflicts. And I think this is a key way of understanding what's going on for the Muslim Slavs or Bosniaks within the former Yugoslavia. Uh, and I am going to cover more than just Bosnia-Herzegovina because, as you will soon see, uh, Muslim Slavs uh, go across boundaries and are found in at least uh, five of the former Yugoslav spaces in some significant percentage, more than a negligible, non-reportable uh, number. So I'd, I'd like to go to uh, 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 Schmidt, who uh, in 1998 elaborated on four l models that he viewed as managing ways of states managing language conflict. 
uh, to either avoid it or uh, m uh, kind of uh, succeed in mitigating any kinds of tensions that might arise. I mean, uh, this is a book about language and politics in the United States and Canada. And many comparisons were made with our neighbor to the north, where language issues are more salient in day-to-day -day affairs with the situation of bilingualism on the federal level, monolingualism of Quebec, at least official monolingualism in terms of the uh, uh, constitutional um, uh, status of, 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 of French um, within, within Quebec, um, and, and so forth. So uh, these are the, the, the four main models, and, I and, and the way Schmidt describes this is really a continuum from the, the one that goes on top here, domination, exclusion, to linguistic confederation. And you, in between them, we have assimilation and pluralism. And I'll briefly say, and I give you a flag of a country to sort of illustrate it, the US has sort of tended to be on the assimilationist uh, part of this continuum, um, you, extolling the virtues of speaking English and having our immigrants m switch as quickly or as fast as they can to English. Uh, avoiding the idea that Spanish is an official language, although it is a language that it can be rendered in, in public, for public use and so forth. And there were many, many debates. I, I, anybody who's interested in more reading on this, I, I, I have lots and lots of, of reading on the US situation that I could point you to. But uh, this, the, the assimilationist model is also perhaps one that you might find um, in, uh, in uh, the uh, well, the United States is, is a, a great example. Uh, the UK, to some extent, has also a, a similar. So a lot of English-speaking societies where English is a considered kind of a lingua franca. Domination exclusion is a much more top-down approach where other only one official language is allowed and no toleration of any minority rights given to any other language. And I give the, uh, some examples from, for, perhaps there are more examples of this. Greece has been an example from the Balkans, typically of its, its Greek first. Um, Greek is the main language. Macedonian was suppressed for a long time and uh, other Slavic languages. There are no other official or minority languages uh, recognized in that society. Pluralism is more of a European Union, or here I give you the example of Switzerland model, where it's a language diversity that we celebrate and we try to allow for variation. You, these are the countries that are much more keen on having multi, multilingual signs, uh, students in education systems studying the other language that might have official status within the country and so on. And the final one is linguistic confederation. So each one is getting a little bit more lenient regarding like L languages two, three, or four, or five, or whatever. Linguistic confederation, perhaps, is the one where language conflict is managed by creating almost two solitudes. Perhaps Quebec, Quebec and, and, and Canada is a little bit of an example of where, where, yes, there's official bilingualism, but then you see politicians who have a debate in uh, for the Conservative Party leadership in Quebec last week, and they, they are allowed to only give 50-second answers in French because their French is not up to stuff, right? So that is a bit of a, a problem. They're not perfectly bilingual. Linguistic confederationism, one could argue, to some extent exists in, in Ukraine, although that's in flux a little bit. But you could vividly remember a debate between two presidential candidates in which one was speaking Ukrainian and the other speaking Russian, because the country is also linguistically divided as, as well as it is politically divided. Uh, so those are those, are those continuum. 
the continua. The other uh, thing that I think that is useful is to bring a little bit of theory from uh, language ideology. And I'll just talk briefly about that and then try to move us a little farther into the more, uh, away from these more preliminary things and into uh, what's going on in the former Yugoslavia, which I'm sure most of you really want to come here rather than some of this. Um, and iconization is uh, one uh, form of linguistic ideology, which is to highlight the specific feature of a, of a speech of one particular group um, and, and differentiate them through that speech feature. This is much, very much applicable to the former Yugoslavia, where uh, somebody like Boyan here will be teaching Bosnian, Croatian, and Serbian, or BCS. How can Boyan teach three languages and call it one course? Four, four. four languages, because he also now <laughs> in this place, it's probably Montenegrin. <laughs> is added. So, you know, we always made a joke that you can learn four languages in one class. What if that's the best bargain you have at the university in terms of language study? But is it really physically uh, possible? And can Boyan really know all four languages? Or are they just iconicized or iconized these features? And Boyan just says, well, yeah, in my dialect, Serbian or whatever, you do do it like this. But I can tell you what it is in Croatian, Bosnian, and Montenegrin. But maybe we won't do that today because I don't want to confuse you to more than I need to. Uh, so I think that uh, this is, um, but, but this is really what happens. We do have four languages. They have varying stages of, of affirmation in, and various uh, controversies around them. The one that I will talk about mostly here is Bosnian today, but uh, yeah, ask me uh, uh, if we had another few days, I would talk about each of the others. Uh, the other one is erasure. I'm not going to talk about fractal rec recursivity much today, but erasure is the other tendency in language ideology, which is to erase the differences. This is the Yugoslav model. Let's see if we can find a way of unifying Croatian and Serbian. Let's see if we can maybe adopt the Serbian dialect of, of, the, of this joint language that the Yugoslav authorities declared and, and promulgated. But we'll use the Latin script instead of the Cyrillic script because that's easier and that's more universal. So that was a compromise that somebody named Skerlich had advocated in 1913. But even Kenneth Naylor, the one who I did, did, did talked about before, tried to, to advocate that in 1978 and, and many others were looking at how can we unify how can we erase these differences and create some um, uh, uni unity uh, through language the other thing and I'll quickly go through the next two slides has to do with what I have called in my own work a strong nation-state principle which I think is something that some of the former Yugoslav republics exhibit and some of them absolutely do not exhibit and the, the strong nation-state principle is where in the Constitution or in the education system as well, uh, reinforced is the notion that there is one leading nation in these former republics. So in Croatia, it's a good example, 95% or so of the population now declare themselves to be Croats. The Constitution declares that this is the state meant to be the home of the Croatian people as the primary people. That is what I would definitely would have to call a strong nation state principle. There's not a lot of uh, rocket science in this uh, description. Uh, Serbia would be a similar state uh, where the Serbian people are mentioned and their language with their Cyrillic script, as even if in Belgrade you might see a huge amount of Latin script, it is still officially the Serbian language and the Cyrillic script, which are the key dominant official languages and the official uh, nation of Serbia, it, or the, the state is meant for the Serbian people. Uh, however, in, the res in some of these other regions, Macedonia in particular, Kosovo is another one, 
Bosnia-Herzegovina and Montenegro, former republics or autonomous region in Kosovo's case of, the, of Yugoslavia, the nation state is not strong. The nation state could possibly be contested as in Bosnia-Herzegovina where you have two antagon entities in an antagonistic relationship rather than a cooperative mostly relationship, Republika Srpska and Federacija Bosna i Herzegovina, the Federation of Bosnia-Herzegovina. And in Macedonia where ethnic conflict and now political uh, deadlock still exists, uh, where you have uh, Macedonia is defined as a nation of its people. No, no mention specifically anymore of the Macedonian people because the Albanian population of Macedonia uh, rejected that formula, had an uprising, and the international authorities used the constitution to affirm that this is a state of all its people, including part of the Serbian people, part of the Bosniak people, and part of the uh, Turkish people and Roma people, etc. The other, the other thing that I talk about in the 2010 contribution is the a strong accommodationist principle. And some of these same states that compensate in a way for their strong nation state principle by actually saying, well, we can afford, we, we've, 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 we've sorted, as they say in New Zealand, sorted out, we've sorted the issue of who's our leading nation, Serbs, Croats, whatever, and now we can be generous to our minority populations and sort that out as well. So we can designate who our minorities will be and how we will protect them. And so we can accommodate minorities now that we've, we've, we've firmly established who's in charge. And so I've called that the strong accommodationist principle, which you see manifest in some European charters that some of these nations, new nations, have signed on to. Serbia has signed on to it. Slovenia has signed on to it. Croatia has signed on to it. Bosnia-Herzegovina has signed on to it. Macedonia has not. And Montenegro has signed on to it. And through these charters, they designate which languages will be protected, might have, you can get services in, it, in those languages, and what percentages of the populations have to be, uh, constitute enough to, be, to get those rights. In Macedonia, the number is 20%. In Serbia, it's 15%. And in Croatia, it's 33%. So this is extremely political. This is not, doesn't always work very uh, consistently across the board, but it is a formula that has, has, has existed so there's this a tendency in some of these places to accommodate as well. I think we've we've talked enough about theory, and I think I'm going to go into some data. I want to focus a little bit now on Bosnia, on the Muslim Slavs and the Bosniaks, and how they fit into these, these issues. What is the status of the Bosnian identity, Bosniak identity? <laughs> Sorry, I made them on my own mistake. Or Bosniak identity. What is the status of the Bosnian language? And how does this figure in, in terms of state policies, the relationships of the other ethnic groups? Did I move the slide forward yet? No. No, I did not. And what does this tell us? And then and, and how, I'll walk you through this for Bosnia, for the Serbian Montenegrin Sanjak region, which has a large, it's, it's an area that used to be unified, but now is divided where, uh, into two states, where there's a large Bosniak population or Muslim Slavic population in Macedonia a little bit, a little bit of Kosovo, but and then in Republika Srpska, the, one of the two Bosnia-Herzegovinian entities. So the Bosnia Yaks or the Muslim Slavs are spread across all these different political entities now. So let's look at some census data just so you'll know what we're talking about. It, the Bosniaks in the Western Balkan, and I think it also, the census data 
can show you some of the complexities. The, every census is political in the Balkans, and they're supposed to come out, out every 10 years, and you see some anomalies here. <laughs> You see that the Bosnian-Herzegovinian one was conducted in 2013, and its results were published in July of 2016. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's already a red flag. <laughs> and look at the number. The number of Bosniaks for the first time officially is over 50%. This is, uh, in the 91 census, it was somewhere like 38.7% or some number like that. This is the, the first time that was one of the reasons that this was controversial. It took a lot of backing and toing and throwing until this data was published. Most of these Bosniaks, self-declared, are residents of the Federation of Bosnia-Herzegovina and Republika Srpska, despite efforts of the international uh, community and the higher office of higher representative, has not really uh, many, assimilated many of the returnees, as, as was promised in the Dayton Accords, in the, what many people say are the failed Dayton Accords, but it's the only accords we have at the <laughs> moment. Um, Serbia's census is quite interesting. You have both, you have, various, you have two designations. You have uh, the Bosniak identity is expressed quite, quite strongly. Uh, most of them, the vast majority of the Muslim Slavs are, are, but there are still some who call themselves Muslims, okay? So that's, uh, mostly these are located in the Sanjak part that remained in Serbia, cities like Novi Pazar, Sienica in the southwestern Serbia on the border with Montenegro. Look at Croatia, similar. You have very small numbers, but their census shows you both Bosniaks, Bosniaci, Bosniaci, and Muslimani. Still, the term Muslims is used in Croatia. Ko Kosovo only has Bosniaks. Now that, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I don't have much else to say about that, but that's the reality. I think there's some clear reasons for that that I, I could only speculate on, but I, I, I just, it's, it's an interesting fact to, to, to store for some future thought. And then look at Montenegro. You have various designations here. Uh, the majority are still Bosniaks, or the largest group is Bosniaks, but you also have Muslims. And you have Bosniaks-Muslims. So that's another complication, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And then you have Macedonia as well. Before I uh, just uh, continue a little bit, there are those of interest, I'll very briefly tell you that th there is a, the, the, the term terminological differences. The, as I said, the term Bosnian language has been adopted <laughs> as the name of the language. So that was the census data. The, most of these citizens, there's a whole other slide and a whole other talk where I talk about how many of these Bosniaks or Muslims or Muslim Bosniaks or Muslims in general declare their mother tongue to be Bosnian or Bosniak or Serbian, or Croatian, or Serbo-Croatian, or Croato-Serbian. There are about six or seven different designations that you can find in the census data from different countries. But the, in general, the reason the Bosniaks, or the Muslim Slavs of Bosnia-Herzegovina chose the term Bosnian is that it has history. The term itself, as the designation of the language, has a history from older times, and uh, especially an attempt at creating a unified Bosnian identity by a well-meaning uh, administrator of the Austro-Hungarian Times, Benjamin Kalai, who, uh, and under his uh, administration, the first grammar of the Bosnian language is published as an effort to counter Serbian nationalism 
Muslim at the time, and the, all the efforts to unify all Serbs under one state. This, this Bosnian language has some, some, some history. And it also, the, the, I'll give you that in this slide. Uh, it also has some iconic features. And I show you kahva, although I don't usually, there's a joke I can tell you in the Q&A, which I, maybe some of you have heard about, about coffee in Bosnia-Herzegovina. But the word kava is Croatian, the word kafa is Serbian, and supposedly uh, most people, although I have to say I heard, I heard very little of it when I was in Sarajevo, is, is kahva. Yeah, so the ch being a kind of iconic uh, letter, uh, perhaps hearkening to that uh, origin of, of these, this uh, the, the connection with other languages that have a ch, uh, a Turkish Arabic language type uh, influence, perhaps. Uh, but there are lots of uh, efforts to revive ch, put ch where it is lost, because ch is lost dialectally by most Croats and Serbs. So this makes Bosniaks have some difference. Um, and then and, uh, and there's a lot of lexicon, uh, lexical items, words that come from Turkish or Arabic that are used regularly in the new Bosnian standard. So these are the iconic features. Uh, these are probably things that in that BCMS class that Boyan has to teach might come up regularly. Like, okay, so what is it really in Bosnian? Well, lako becomes lako, or meko becomes mehko. Now, you, will, you see, will you hear that on the streets of Sarajevo? Not that often, but you might hear it on TV, or you might certainly will read it in the press. And it depends on your political point right. of view. Point of view sometimes in which press you're reading. Right. So, let's talk about the implementation on the state level of the Bosnian language and its status. So, a lot sociolinguists like to talk about status planning, which is, you know, how do you plan each of these languages, and lang uh, it's part of, of, of the general issues around language paneling and language policy. Uh, so, the Bosnian language is being robustly implemented as a language and official language of Bosnia-Herzegovina, in particular the federation part of, of Bosnia-Herzegovina, which is, for those who are not aware, divided into ten cantons. Uh, the original idea was three would have majority Muslim or Bosniak populations, three would have a majority Croat, three would have a majority Serb, one would be Sarajevo, but it doesn't really always work that way. And so the, um, but in fact, in the census data that were just published, the vast majority of Bosniaks of the Federation, because they're divided by Federation and Republika Srpska, those census data, declare their mother tongue to be Bosnian the Bosnian language. Uh, in Montenegro, the, the Montenegrin language only uh, became official. It's the youngest of our newest languages in the official terms, although there were movements to make it an official successor language of Serbo-Croatian. When Montenegro voted, Montenegro, Montenegro, I open the Vasile, became independent in 2006 through a referendum, which was very narrowly approved by its population, reached a threshold that made it possible, and Montenegro seceded from a joint state called Serbia and Montenegro, which was a successor state to the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, which was the successor, which claimed to be the <laughs> successor state of Tito's Yugoslavia. Very complicated, I know. Um, but there we are. And this particular uh, 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 
constitution that Montenegro uh, uh, adopted in 2007 had to deal with the fact that Montenegro is now a newly independent state. It has Muslim Slavic minorities. It has Serbs, lots of quite a large population to thinking of themselves as Serbs. Some Serbs say Montenegrins are all Serbs anyway. And it has also Croats. So what do you do with all four successor languages? And you're the newest successor language on the block. So the Montenegrin authorities declared the Montenegrin language an official language. It's the only place in the Balkans where Montenegrin has any status as in, in terms of state policies. Mm -hmm. And it also declared Bosnian, Croatian, and Serbian as official languages. It's very unwieldy. Does that mean everything appears in four languages, where three of those languages tend to be written in the Latin script and look quite similar to one another because they're also the Iakavian dialect of the former Serbo-Croatian. So this is a bit messy. Not surprisingly, this has been controversial, but the Bosnian language is supposed to have an official status, and therefore I've argued in some of my work that the Bosniaks of Montenegro are not pushing so hard for their language rights and are not as radicalized in a weak nation state one that does not have that strong principle of this is the state for Montenegrins, because the Montenegrins who say that they are, they are maybe 45% of the population, and yet the, the majority of the population still declare their language actually to be Serbian. Mm -hmm. So this is a weakish nation state moving towards NATO membership and all, but not one where uh, there is a, that, that there's a lot of accommodation, but a weak nation state, and I think there's less radicalization due to some of this messiness that exists in this small Balkan republic. Uh, in the other three there that you see, the Bosnian language is recognized as a regional or minority language, either through that European charter that I mentioned for Serbia, or in uh, places like uh, censuses where you might uh, designate this, is this your mother tongue, and you will say Bosnian. In Croatia, the Bosnian language does not have minority language status. This might be a matter of timing. They signed the treaty, uh, the, this charter, in the mid-90s, and it wasn't really clear what would be the future of the Bosnian language, but at least in the first census of 2001, post-breakup, they put Bosniak, as the name of the language in the census, and in the 2011 census, they changed that to Bosnian. And we're going to get to that a little bit. Bosniacki ili bosanski. Staje uredu ili nije uredu. And that is the question. Is it Bosniak or Bosnian? Uh, I just... Uh, want to give you an example of how uh, these malleable identities, because I did promise to say at least something about Macedonia. Macedonia is interesting because it had this ethnic conflict. It's another weak nation state. It, it doesn't have a, a, a clear, uh, it, though uh, the Macedonian uh, majority would like to claim that it's the country for Macedonians, and uh, the former president had a book, Macedonia, it's all we have, meaning we Macedonians only have Macedonia, and we're going to cling to it if we can. They do not uh, yet have that protection through the Constitution. And again, in a weak nation state, 
like that. We do have a movement to uh, change the identity of the what we call the Muslim Macedonians or the Torbishi or the Gorani or there are all these various little groups, unite them under this Bosniak flag and call their language Bosnian and advocate for the Bosnian language. So I'm going to play a little clip from, of all places, Al Jazeera, just to give you a sense of this from a recent uh, report that they did about efforts to revive the Bosnian language in, in, Macedon in Macedonia and, give, and have education and, and opportunities in schools to teach the Bosnian language to the these Bosnian uh, children, and I'm, it's all in the language of um, Bosnian or Serbian or Croatian or Montenegrin, but uh, I'll, I'll give, I gave you what it says, and uh, those of you who understand the language, uh, enjoy it. It's a very short clip, but I do want to play it, and I hope it works, so let's see. They're interviewing somebody who moved from Bosnia to Macedonia when he was one. Čolović je ceo život radio u islamskoj verskoj zajednici Makedonije. Danas je penzioner. He's a pensioner. And I played the video, they, they can see the video. A što islamska zajednica ne bi trebala da je samo zajednica Albanaca? Jer u krajnjem slučaju muslimani su i Bošnjaci, i Turci, i Albanci. Bošnjaci u Skoplju od nedavno u jednoj džamiji imaju molitvu na maternjem jeziku. Profesor Džemil Bektović kaže da je za njih otvoreno i pitanje obrazovanja. Za sada se eksperimentalna nastava na bosanskom jeziku izvodi u nekoliko sela. Nobošnjaci traže školu u Skoplju. Okay, so it, I, I can elaborate on what they said, but basically it's what I told you earlier. The only thing that I would add is this is a, somebody who moved more recently from, from, from uh, of Bosnia. Well, he moved when he was one. Now he's a pensioner, so I guess he's, no, that wasn't that recent. It was in Yugoslav times. And uh, he says, uh, one, one line that is very interesting, he says, Muslims are, are, should, are, are Albanians, Turks, and Bosniaks within, within Macedonia. So a movement to try and affirm the identity of the Bosniaks. Uh, when I told this to a very big specialist in our country about Macedonia, Victor Friedman, he said, all those Bosniaks are Torbishi. That's the term that he's using. So again, it's this politicization of ethnicity, of terminology, and yet uh, the Constitution does declare that a part of the Bosniak people are members of our, of our nation state, our, our multi, well, multinational nation state, which is this contradiction in terms to those who are, uh, my apologies to the political scientists in the room. Um, let's now move across the border to the Santak region of Serbia and Montenegro. So this, as I said, until 2006, when Montenegro seceded from Serbia and Montenegro, uh, until 2006, this is one, one, one region of a unified state. The new border was created in 2006 that divided the Sanchak into two parts. And this is great for somebody like me interested in border studies and how different states affect uh, languages and different policies can really make a, a huge difference. And the population that had been unified as recently as 11 years ago, and yet we've already seen radically divergent developments in these two halves of what used to be a single province of the Sanjak. You see the, the it's sort of, the, the, the lion's share of the cultural centers ended up on the Serbian side of the border, even though there's six municipalities on the one side and five on the other, but that's where the biggest city or the most well-known city, Novi Pazar is located, Sienica and Tutin are all on that side, and then smaller places, or um, Rojaje and so forth, are on the other side of the border. Just to give you a sense of what this place looks like, 
so what, what has happened in, in this new reality of Bosniaks divided like this across these, this boundary is we have some Bosniaks in a strong nation state, meaning Serbia, with a strong accommodationist policy. After Slobodan Milosevic was ousted in 2000, uh, Serbia became more tolerant towards its population. It signed the, the minority populations. It signed the European Charter for Regional and Minority Languages. It recognized for the first time something I didn't think was going to happen, uh, the existence of a separate Bosnian language with the name Bosnian, in, at least through these official organs like the Charter for Regional and Minority Languages. It, does, it, 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 does, it is true, and it's more complicated than that, that others in Serbia deny and still do deny the existence of the name of the Bosnian language in that terminology. Because, as I said, it's a geographic term, and because there is a sizable Serbian population and Croatian population within Bosnia-Herzegovina, they claim that that's a fallacy and that the Bosniaks should be calling their language Bosniaczki or Bosniak. And so uh, officially, the Serbian Academy of Sciences has reiterated that, that, reiterated that now. And in 1997, under Milosevic, though still, the uh, a Committee for the Standardization of the New Serbian Language made its first decision that the Bosnian language does not exist. If they want to have a language, they should call it Bosniak. So this has been going on for at least uh, a decade and a little bit this controversy. So perhaps for this reason, there's a greater radicalization in a strong nation state reacting to the strength of that nation state. Uh, you have um, Bosniak or Bo Bo Muslim Slavic um, football players on, on teams <laughs> in Serbia not agreeing to sing the Serbian national anthem because it's not their anthem. Serbia is not their state. There are those advocating for a, a, a binational Serbia, one that is Serbian and Bosniak as well, uh, that they are a, a constituent group within uh, the, the Republic of Serbia and deserve those rights. So there is a, a certain radicalization and there are factions and it's a, it's a bit of a messy situation. But interestingly, if we went back to the census data that I showed you earlier, a huge plurality, it's in the 90s, percent of those self-declared Bosniaks, and they do self-declare mostly as Bosniaks within Serbia, also declare their language to be Bosnian. So they're accepting the mantra coming from across the border in the Federation in, from Bosnia-Herzegovina and Sarajevo. There are increasing demands for Bosnian language education in Serbia, just like we saw the demand spreading to Macedonia in Skopje in that clip from Al Jazeera. Uh, the radicalization has included uh, these efforts. And it has some things to do with the economy as well. Uh, the Sanjak region is, is viewed as, as a backwater. Uh, when I was last in Serbia uh, in 2015, people said there were two Serbias. There's Belgrade and the rest of Serbia. We say that in New Zealand, by the way, Auckland and Rons the rest of New Zealand. So we're very much similar, uh, but we don't not talking here about New Zealand. I had to throw it in, though. Uh, in Montenegro, by contrast, uh, the identity of the Bosniaks is fractured. And there is uh, efforts to radicalize them. They're not being very successful. Uh, radicalize, what I mean by radicalize, be more uh, affirmative, be more awakened, uh, that it's the ethnicity becoming more nationalist, nationalistic. Um, and in the rhetoric and in the demands that are made on the state and seeking enhanced rights within the state. And those Bosniaks of, of Montenegro have not gone down that route. Let me just uh, I'll wrap up by going oh, yeah. first to, to Republika Srpska. 
and then uh, some conclusion, concluding remarks. So uh, as we saw, there's a, a, a diverse picture here. In, in Bosnia-Herzegovina, I already mentioned that the vast majority of the Muslims, Slavs, or Bosniaks in the federation entity have declared their mother tongue to be Bosnian. And in the last two or three years within Republika Srpska, uh, breaking with what's happening in official Serbiadom in, across the border, uh, Republika Srpska has actually make, made moves to officially rename the language of the Bosniak by what they think should be the proper name, Bosniaczki or Bosniak. And so this has led to boycotts of schools in, in flashpoints like Srebrenica um, and other uh, parts of Republika Srpska. It has led to uh, uh, the Bosniak population setting up alternative classrooms that are not official. And so this is an ongoing controversy that has not been resolved, but it is what I have called a, a recurring or uh, issue around the naming and a challenge to language, which is, of course, a challenge to identity as well. It also then reverberates in other decisions, such as uh, in Republika Srpska, not really going along with the national day, which was the day that, the, that mm. the Bosnia declared independence, meaning uh, February 29th, which is a, 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 which is a <laughs> bit of an odd, oddity. So we often say it's March 1st uh, of 1992. A lot of people don't know that little footnote that it was actually on, on leap year, uh, a, a leap year that year. Anyway, March 1st is the official national day, but since the Serbs boycotted in large numbers that referendum on independence, Republika Srpska has declared January 9th its, its national day. Now, how can this state function? Don't ask me. Even national days are disputed as, as our language and identity, names of languages and identity. I think this is a slide that probably will make you smile a little bit. Conclusions, we're, always, we're almost there. <laughs> So you, we can we can have some time for Q and A, uh, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about what I've tried to achieve here today, and then wrap up with some final parting thoughts. Uh, as I said, uh, we see contest. Where, where is Mus the Muslim Slavic term in itself is still fraught? These are relatively new terminologies for the people. The term Bosnian language, though it has a, a bit of a longer history, uh, even a grammar published of the Bosnian language in the 1880s, uh, is also fraught. So language and identity, no matter what happens in official censuses, no matter what happens in re signatures on regional uh, on charters on regional, regional and minority languages, is still a bone of contention and is causing a further radicalization and strain in ethnic relations within places like Serbia. Montenegro and Bosnia-Herzegovina and possibly even Macedonia given what we might have seen anecdotally from something like the clip from Al Jazeera, though that population is rather small. Um, uh, language planners in both Serbia and Croatia seem to be coming back to this recurring issue should, to Bosnian or to Bosniak or to, in the naming of the language. And this is another uh, light motif of what is going on now in a, an attempt to ch continue to challenge a separateness of the Bosnian uh, or the, the appropriateness of the, of the term Bosnian language. Uh, if we were to take some of Schmidt's models into account, and what does this all mean for, for that kind of thing? 
Bosnia-Herzegovina has can only be described either as a linguistic apartheid, linguistic confederation, the, the very bottom part of that continuum or the, the uh, where you have differentiation of education systems, three languages sometimes under one roof, uh, different uh, school textbooks for the three ethnic groups. Many of these things have not been resolved despite the, the good intentions of international communities, offices of high representatives, and so forth. If anything, this is getting increasingly polarized. The Serbs are trying to create a, a, an erasure situation in Republika Srpska by, 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 calling, by calling the shots, if you will, on what, and that wasn't meant as a pun, sorry for that, but on what to name the language of, and, and calling it Bosniak in most recent times and creating a sense of, 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 um, of antagonism in, in, in that kind of decision. Nationalist politicians, of course, in the background are still very much uh, uh, playing uh, in the front row in, in some of these debates and, and problems. Uh, we have also some weakened nation states where the situation is a bit messier. Uh, attempts at, at and none of these societies seem to be following an assimilationist uh, path or a domination exclusion path, which probably would have led to a much more severe conflict situation. Although one could argue that perhaps in their hopes, some of the nationalists would like to continue go towards the domination exclusion path. However, in the weaker places such as Montenegro, efforts at pluralism have been made uh, to create a harmony for all these groups to speak Serbian, Croatian, Bosnian, and Montenegrin, and in fact, in the school subject in Montenegro in a very classical kind of compromise was once declared to be Montenegrin-Serbian, Bosnian, Croatian language and literature. That's a mouthful for any school subject. I can't imagine what the report card looks like, mm -hmm. but so you might replace it with mother tongue or our language uh, colloquially. Uh, the ideology of erasure in IRS, um, I've already kind of mentioned, and that is another one of my parting thoughts. Uh, interestingly enough, Serbia's efforts, uh, when sometimes these things vary according to kinds of governments that we have. Uh, when Serbia had a, a, a bit more of a left-leaning government post-Milosevic, uh, we had some more stronger sense of accommodation. When Croatia had a, a center-left government under Zoran Milanovic in a similar parallel fashion, they were more accommodating towards some of their minority Serb populations, especially in flashpoints like Vukovar and Eastern Slavonia. But when the pendulum switch swung back and uh, to a more right uh, agenda in both Serbia and Croatia, I think this also often leads to greater radicalization, um, which we're seeing among Serbs of Eastern Slavonia uh, in Croatia a little bit more, and also uh, in the Bosniaks of uh, Serbia in particular. So uh, while I would like to say that uh, all issues are resolved uh, with independence and the breakup of Yugoslavia and the fact that there is uh, relative peace in the, in the Balkan Peninsula, my final conclusion has to be that these issues are simmering. They come to the fore at various times, sometimes quite unexpectedly. Many of the issues remain kind of like the, the name question within Macedonia, unresolved sources of ethnic conflict potentially in the future, but not, we're not really in a, I'm, I hate to say it, Balkan talks tend to sometimes end this way. I don't have a whole lot of optimism <laughs> here, but we do seem to be in a very, for, from the sociolinguistic point of view as a case study and from the scientific point of view, we can learn 
a lot from um, examining and analyzing the situation of the Muslim Slavs or Bosniaks of the former Yugoslavia. Thank you very much um, for your attention. So we have, as planned, time for questions. So here comes the first question, please. Please. Let me begin with an apology. This is the first time I've heard of the European Charter for Regional and Minority Languages. What is the, the legal status yep. of that charter? Is it yep. attached to the European Court of Justice? Uh, sometimes you use the term the international community sanctioning. Yep. Is, yep. Are you talking about the European Union? Is, okay. is, uh, who creates this? Yes, very good question. Uh, it is a Council of Europe that has uh, it's one of those the charters of the Council of Europe. So it is uh, something that is voluntary. You do not have to sign on to this charter. It was uh, drafted in 1992 in Strasbourg, and it is uh, applies to all European members of the Council of Europe. And the hope is that all would um, adopt the charter. It is meant to protect the languages that are autochthonous or native to a particular country. So it specifically says not the language of migrants, which is interesting now, especially for Europe. Um, but uh, so, and each state is supposed to implement, if they ratify, sign and ratify, and some have signed but not ratified, they're supposed to implement at least 35 provisions of this charter, and they're supposed to submit uh, reports every three to five years to the Council of Europe on how they're progressing with their implementation of the charter within their states. So it is not binding on these states. And some of them uh, have, uh, are quite inconsistent with, with, with what they chose as their minorities. For example, Slovenia signed this charter and declared uh, protection for Italian, Hungarian, and Romani. And yet there are many uh, citizens of Slovenia who were speakers of the former Serbo-Croatian. They're not protected under that charter, right? Uh, Croats are not. And there are a lot of Croats who will self-declare as Croats. So it is voluntary and it's up to each state to decide what their uh, version of the charter will look like. Um, so Ukraine, for example, did sign, but did specify names of languages that it's protecting. It specified the names of ethnic groups that it's, it's protecting. And so Russians are listed as protected, but Russian is not. So these are the subtleties. Sweden, for example, decided to protect Yiddish. Go figure. Mm -hmm. you know, so there are many anomalies to this. Uh, international community, I referred mostly to, in the case of Bosnia-Herzegovina, those are these, um, that's the post-Dayton uh, Accords uh, international community, which is still heavily involved in governing of Bosnia-Herzegovina. That was the UN? No, it's the European, it's the Troik, is it the European Union is quite strongly involved. I'm, you know, boy, I'm, I should know this uh, off well, the top the of my US head. US. Was, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. it was in, in Dayton. Right? Yeah, it was the Dayton Accords that specified a whole structure. Is this I-4? Well, it, it, it's, that's the military uh, force Result. that become, that's the, that's the implement, that was the enforcer. It's, it's a structures, particularly it's the office of the high representative. Is that, that is not through a UN resolution. That was a Dayton Accord decision, and uh, they I created, so. um, and there are a series of, uh, uh, and they have veto power over, over legal, everything. over everything in, yeah. the, in those two entities, but they also are being challenged constantly by both, by all, all sides. It's, everybody has acknowledged that Dayton is not working for Bosnia, and I think, you know, 
you see that from also from my talk. So I'm maybe others in the room want to elaborate more on the international on this international presence because I, I haven't been following how it might have more metamorphosed in the past ten years or so. I think the high representative is still there and still powerful, right? Yeah. Whatever they say, he and it's always been a male, right? Because it's changed. Patty like, Ashton was, was one. The uh, right? Yeah, in the beginning. Right now, it's Lightchuk, I think. Is it? Slovak? Miroslav Lajcak? Yeah. I think he was once, but maybe, or maybe, I don't I know. I think it's still, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's hard to right keep. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a, another, another question. Yes. Yeah. Oh, hi. So I, I, I know you explained the difference between Bosnian and Bosniak, but I still kind of don't get it. I'm sorry. So is, is one, is, is, are they both somehow culturally laden? And is one. Bosnia, okay. <laughs> Bosnian is an adjective describing a citizen, a, 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 a resident of Bosnia, Herzeg of Bosnia, not even Herzegovina. That would be Herzegovinian. So in, it would be Bosanats in, in the language, would be Bosanats, right? Would be the male and Bosanka. 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 I haven't used it in ages. Uh, Bosanka would be. Right? And that was a term that was commonly used in Yugoslavia to describe anybody who lived in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Oh, many people, yes, I'm Bosan, I'm from Bosnia, I'm a Bosnian. Okay? It's, a, it's an identification, perhaps the best equivalent would be, an, it's non-religious, non-ethnic, so maybe it's like kind of equivalent to saying I'm an American, right? I'm, I'm not, I remember once having a conversation in Grand Central Station with somebody, said, well, 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 what kind of American are you? Are you, are you, I didn't want to say I'm American. I feel like I'm an American. I don't, I don't have to tell you my, anything else, where my parents came from, I'm an American. So I think that's, that's sort of Bosnian. And then that's the name of the language. Now, because there's so many, our press uses terms like Bosnian Serb, Bosnian Croat, to describe these other Bosnians who are not Muslims. And in the languages of that region, it's usually I'm a, a Serb from Bosnia. They don't say Bosanski Serbi. They say Serbi is Bosne or Hrvati is Bosne, I think. I still think they still do that. At least they, yeah. that used to be the case. And a little I think bit. I hear Bosnian. Maybe more. Originally not as much. Name. Originally not as much, but less so. Okay, but but it doesn't matter. I'm, 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 uh, the main point is Bosniak or Bosniak is becoming identified as your religion and your ethnicity all mixed into one. Muslim Slav means you cannot be Bosniak and be Orthodox Christian. You cannot be Bosniak and be Catholic. Typically. So, so I mean, maybe that'll change too. God knows. Right, right. That's why it's tricky to apply this term to the language. Yes. Okay. Well, so it should be simple. It should be Bosnian language, right? <laughs> it should be. But then the Serbs say we speak Serbian and we're living in Bosnia, and therefore they speak Bosniak because it's the ethnic term should be used for the language, not gotcha. the national term. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Sorry if I didn't make it clear earlier, oh, but. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, Lada, then Ivan. Um, hi, Amber. Uh, I uh, was curious, and you, your answer to Kat's question started to address this. How central is faith to defining Bosniak identity? And does it come out in the language with yes. any sort of influences yes. of Turkish historians? It is. It is, it is central. It is, in fact, the determining factor. What you have in Bosnia is a complete 
it, it, it's, it's unusual even for, for most part, of, even for the Balkans, this sort of complete identification of language, um, religion, and ethnicity all merging into one. In other words, in the past, yes, you could find perhaps a Catholic Serb, uh, but it's rare now. I mean, you, you in Mas similarly, Macedonians are typically or are Orthodox, although one president converted to be a Methodist, but you know, we all kind of look the other way, whatever, you know, he's still a Macedonian. <laughs> but uh, in fact, so there is even more leeway there. Now, you know, maybe in 50 years, if, I don't know, um, people come and try to convert people in this region, you'll start having, you know, more, more movement away. But part of the war and part of the polarization and part of the Yugoslav politics that existed before that, I think, led to this kind of all or nothing. And yes, you have, what about the, poor, the people who might have a, a Catholic mother and a, and a Muslim father, um, that, or Bosniak father? That, that is tricky, and a lot of those people have left the country, unfortunately. There's this terrible brain drain, and, and they'll do not, or, or maybe have to make a decision, what am I really? I can't be just non-religious or not have this affiliation. So I think, I, I might be, I'm painting this a little bit extreme, but unfortunately the, this did go to that level of extreme given the atmosphere of post-war Bosnia-Herzegovina. No, even first, yeah. So thank you for, for a wonderful talk. And my question has to do with the brain drain and emigration. Yeah. Um, is there much research on how people who emigrated, especially after the wars, how they identify in terms of uh, the language they speak at yeah. the city, uh, and how that might compare with the data that you present? Yeah. I think that would be a fascinating thing to do. I'm not aware of, of much of that. I, I do it anecdotally in a, in a small country like New Zealand, although if I had more time, I weren't the dean, I probably would do this as a, as a, as a, as a, as a research paper because it is quite fascinating. Um, most people who I anecdotally, and this is not scientifically proven, tend to say something like our language. So I, I go to a, a an open air market in Auckland on a pretty regular basis, and um, there's some ex Yugoslavs there, and there's a woman from the Sanjak, and a man from Serbia, and a man from Croatia. And they all speak together, and they're all quite happy with each other, and they all say, Oh, you speak our language really well. Um, so that's one one mode of succeeding to, to 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 maintain that, and a lot of and then you go to in the city of Auckland. There's a place called Villa Dalmatia, which is like a, a little club, and they have a picture of Tito on the wall, and uh, you know they're all very they they're officially they're Croatian because that's they're more Croats who came at an earlier point to to New Zealand. Um, but they, they're very happy speaking any language, and they often even still call it whatever they want to call it, Srpsko-Hrvatski, even in times I've heard there. So I think it varies, and I think, uh, but a, a study is probably a very valuable, worthwhile thing to do. And I'm not aware, maybe you are, Boyan, of somebody who's looked at it, but I just, these are all anecdotal uh, sort of impressions that a lot of the people who left almost don't want to have anything to do with this, what they might view as this sort of um, um, uh, balkanization of the languages into these three or four parts. And I, I rarely, I, so far I haven't heard anybody said that they speak Montenegrin. I, I mean, I haven't been to Montenegro recently. I'm sure if I went there, I'd hear people say that they speak Montenegrin. But uh, I, haven't, I haven't met anybody overseas who says, I, I speak Montenegrin. Mm -hmm. 
James there and then James here. <laughs> okay. Robert, you mentioned those you know, people that might have a Bosnian father and a Croat mother. Would they, at least unofficially, any of them consider themselves still Yugoslav? <laughs> Overseas, more so. Overseas more so. It, it, Yugoslav isn't a census category anymore. It used to be until 91. I don't think it is anymore. What Bosnia does is it has the category other. So there's Serb, Croat, Bosniak, and other. As, as, and in Croatia is a little bit more liberal about this. There's the languages they even list. You could, they, list they tell you what languages they think you should speak. So they list Croatian, Croato-Serbian, Serbo-Croatian, Serbian, Bosnian. They don't list Montenegrin. Uh, in their 2011, at least. Maybe in 2021, they will list Montenegrin. So Yugoslav identity is, I think, dead in the region. I don't think it's, it's there might be some, some holdouts who might tell you they are, but you can't officially do it. You might unofficially say you are. Um, and a lot, yeah. So. But all the census forms are now right in. So you can write whatever you feel like writing it. Uh, are, in all the countries? Or? Yeah, yeah. In all four, it's right in what you are, except in Croatia, it's the option select Croatian yeah. or something else, and then you write in. But yeah. it's always the option of writing it. But of course, the problem is, I think, on reporting, you know, well, what they, what are they are looking report? at the data, yeah. Yeah, will they report? Or not? Well, that, that's, that, the that's, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I, you know, right. it's the interpretation of what they're right, getting. Exactly. And they won't report, they, they don't report Yugoslav. None of them do. And when I tried to find more subtlety about Bosnia, what, what's, what's included in other, you can't find it. I, my, I, I'm sorry to intervene with everything, but my, one of my favorite examples is Serbian census, where, where they the, the interpreters of the census told you what they did with the language, for example. So uh, also there you can write in whatever your mother tongue is. Yeah. And then you write in, and they say, whoever wrote in Serbian or Serbo-Croatian, we put them together. And you have one. And then on the other hand, Croatian or Croat or Serbia, we put that, so you don't know who wanted to say Serbo-Croatian or Croat. You just yeah. cannot know. Well, the, this, is the, this is the politics of census. Right. And that's what yeah. I, was, I, I, I was, when I said that they tell you what they, what they what, when you read the results, they give you the results of what they think are the languages. Exactly. So that's yeah. where, the, it's not that they, you tick a box, as they say, right. down under, of what, you know, they give you 21 possibilities. But when they interpret that, I might have misled you into thinking that you do tick boxes. But they're right in categories. I think the Bosnian one I did look at, though, I think they did list the three languages and other. But uh, I right, could right, be, right. I could, so, yeah, they, you, they, you, they, you sometimes they list the option, them, yeah. and sometimes they don't list them. Right. Jim. Oh, well, just a comment on the uh, Nazizic, uh way back in the 60s when I was there. All Serbs talked about Nazizic. They didn't talk yeah. about Serbian. Mm. Yeah. Serbsky. Uh, no. They were Nazizic. Mm. I didn't have a name for the language yeah. except Nazizic. Mm. Yeah. Well, I point that out in my book, of course, it's well known that the, the original literary agreement of 1850, where they declared this unified language, didn't name the language. Mm. It's so, yeah, that is true. And there was a journal, Nazizic, as well. Yeah. Which still there, I guess. Yeah. Please. And then. Hi, Robert. Pam here. Hey, Pam. How are you? Good, good. Um, I'm curious about the schools, and I know you mentioned uh, that they're the sort of upstart schools that are doing their own yeah. things, but what happens with the censuses? Do they then get applied to how funding is distributed to schools? Is it a matter of you <sighs> No, it's not that sophisticated, unfortunately. No, so, no or but fortunately. So start a school with a particular language, 
which emphasis does that then mean that you don't yeah. get state funding? Yeah. Well, it does. Yeah, it does affect you when you can come up with the percentages. So, for example, depending on what country we're in, there are those different thresholds. So, in the Sanjak region of of Serbia, for example, if you, if fifteen percent of the population say they're they're Bosniaks and they speak Bosnian, the state has agreed to provide language instruction or history classes in the Bosnian culture, uh, or language classes in Bosnian, and they created their own textbooks, which, by the way, are different from the ones from Sarajevo, which is a whole other story. But does not matter? They they might they allow so the census data are used and they are politicized in that way. It doesn't translate automatically to funding because then it, they come in these extra. National thing, these extra political things like uh, whether the country is a signature, signatory state to the charter. So, for example, the big controversy right now in Croatia, which I didn't talk about today, about the Serbs, is they have a threshold of 33 percent in, in in one of their laws. If the population is 33 uh, percent non-Croatian, then we will provide uh, bilingual signs, for example, and. In Vukovar, the census showed that the Serbs were at over 33%. Not by much, but still over 33%. The center-left government said, well, we're obligated to create these bilingual signs. The war veterans and others uh, further to the, who, who opposed that, uh, that government, but also opposed the Serbian uh, language in that part of the, re of the country, uh, immediately uh, decimated, um, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Destroyed. destroyed. Thank you. Destroyed <laughs> the signs, took them down, or 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 um, um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, 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 vandalized them. Right. right? And so, uh, and then now the new government is questioning the census data and saying, well, maybe that's false census data. Maybe they're really not 33 percent, or maybe we should raise the threshold to 50 percent. Now that's not a minority when it's 50 percent. <laughs> So these are the these are the complications. In Bosnia, it's the Republika Srpska, the, the lightest census shows that the really very small number of people say they speak Bosnian in Republika Srpska. It's quite monoethnic. So this is the, the the source that perhaps the, by the numbers the Serbian majority population feel they can be emboldened to say what they think the language should be called and then fund that. But that's not satisfying the local population because it's, a, it's an affront on their identity. So if you want to be a sign maker or a publisher, <laughs> this is the place to be. You, you to, yeah, you have to, and translators, translators can do pretty well. It's like the Dayton Accords, they had, you know, you could have four channels. It's a very well-known anecdote, but it's true apparently, you know, Bosnian, Croatian, and Serbian, and English. And there was one translator for Bosnian, Croatian, and Serbian, and then there was somebody for English. So. <laughs> You know, so yeah, you had four channels, but one person could handle all three of the four. Michelle? Well, this kind of relates to that point, actually, which is we've been talking about kind of in the context of that region of the, of the world. But then there's the rest of us. How do we respond to those realities? So obviously, the Slavic department decided they couldn't call their course Serbo-Croatian anymore, so now right. you've got Boston-Croatian-Serbian. Montenegrin-Serbian. So Thank and, you, and, yes. Yeah, so, uh, so I actually, my, my name's Michelle. I, I work in uh, K-12 education. And one of the things that we do is uh, try to support students who come to our schools who have languages other than English who would like to get world language credits for their high school yep. uh, graduation and college admissions and so on. So we have dealt with more than 55 languages, you know, Amharic, Somali, and so on. But it's always a little bit of a challenge because the testing companies still refer to Serbo-Croatian. So if a student registers for Croatian, 
can I good in good conscience send them to the testing company for a civil operation or what do we do about all that? And and do I have to option you know, do we have to quadruple, not quadruple, but even more, Quadro Serbian yeah. and Montenegro and everything, do we have to list them all in order to not be offensive yeah. or how do we how do you how be do you how do you respect the rights yeah. of people yeah. and your assumptions? That's challenging. Yes, I think. But universities, the university solution, and a lot of us in the business say BC. Usually, we still say BCS. Mm -hmm. Boyan, uh, we don't. Montenegrin is so precarious, even in that regard. BCS is quite accepted. Uh, so you could list. I, I think politically correct would probably be Bosnian slash Croatian slash Serbian. Uh, if you want to be hyper politically correct, you'd probably add Montenegrin, in, and you do this alphabetically. You see, you don't favor anybody by putting the B, the C, the M, and the S in that order, supposedly. Although Czechoslovakia, the Slovaks, always hated being second in the list, you know. But okay, but never mind. We 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 at least that's that. So that's what I think would potentially work. The term Serbo-Croatian probably to a lot of people will seem very, um, especially the younger generation who are educated in the system who come to this country, uh, would probably find that very anomalous and very un 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 unclear. Um, and, they, and it also has implications for the alphabet. So you really want to be sure a lot of people in former Yugoslavia, when it was socialist, had to learn both alphabets. Now uh, many, nobody uh, in, in essentially in Croatia, except if you're in a Serbian school, will learn Cyrillic. And same for Bosnia, the, the Federation. Now, uh, Serbia is quite liberal about using Latin script and Cyrillic script, but the Republic of Srpska tends to be a little bit more uh, conservative in that regard, because that's a marker of their difference. That's their iconic feature, is Cyrillic. Maybe we slow down here, but um, refreshments are in the back. So if you have more questions for Robert, he's going to be around, and we will too. Thank, no, thank you, Robert. You. Thank you.